Welcome to the Craft Brewery Finance Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers to provide you with tips, tactics, and strategies to improve financial results in your brewery. I'm your host, Kerry Shumway, a CPA, CFO for a brewery, and former CFO for a beer distributor. I've spent the last 20 years using finance to help improve financial results in our beer business, and now I'm helping other craft breweries do the same. Are you ready to take your brewery financial results to the next level? Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Craft Brewery Finance Podcast. I'm your host, Kerry Shumway, and today I'm joined by Julie Rhodes from NotYourHobbyMarketing.com. Julie is a beer industry sales and marketing expert. She has over 20,000 hours of experience on the supplier side. So Malcolm Gladwell says you need 10,000 hours to be an expert. She's got 20,000 hours, so she knows what she's talking about. Uh, Julie has worked with national account program creation and execution, customer service, brand management, wholesaler management, and using data-driven results to help you grow your beer brands. So in this conversation, we cover a lot of ground. I learned a great deal, and I hope that you will as well. Some of the topics we talk about are how to use sales and marketing fundamentals to help you navigate the challenges that we face today, and how to use that that knowledge and those skills to really benefit your brewery business when the fog lifts and we come out of this. So a lot of great topics. I'd say get your pen and pencil ready, but we will have a lot of information in the show notes for you. So for now, please enjoy this conversation with Julie Rhodes from Not Your Hobby Marketing. Julie Rhodes, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. It's great to have you. So obviously, we're in the middle of a crisis right now, financial, emotional, health-wise. And as far as the beer industry goes, we certainly have a lot of changes being thrown at us. And one of the things, we certainly cannot sell beer the same way that we used to. You and I had talked previously about your past experience in field sales and selling beer remotely and communicating with different partners, retailers, wholesalers. I'm curious how you look at that past experience and the lessons learned and how those lessons might be applied to today's situation. Okay. Well, yeah, I feel somewhat lucky actually in this sense because um, in being in field sales and then working my way up to sales management of different territories as well, um, I feel like it kind of gave me a skill set that is um, sort of unique in that when you're managing multiple territories at the same time, you obviously, you're one person, you can't be in a million different places at one time. So you have to figure out a way to facilitate sales um, from a distance, basically, and make sure that you're still covering all your various territories. So um, I got kind of, you know, I had to teach myself sort of this song and dance of, you know, making sure first and foremost that my accounts knew me. Um, they knew me by my first name. We were on a first name basis. I could, you know, I, I put it in the context of this way for people. Could I call them up on the phone um, at a random time that they weren't expecting to speak to me and have them say, oh, hey, how are you doing? Okay, let's, you know, I know why she's calling me. There's a purpose. So um, being on that level uh, with your retail buyers is super important, regardless of whether it's on or off premise. 
um, or a chain or national account, um, you also need to have that kind of relationship with your distributor or wholesaler as well. Um, can you reach out to them at random times and do they know who you are and what your purpose is and um, all about your brand? And are they aware of your sales goals or your mission or what you're trying to accomplish and um, what your sales activities have been lately and, and what you have in mind? Um, do they know your intent? Do they know your purpose? So making sure that that's clear. Um, and really it's as simple as just consistent and clear communication. Uh, using the phone, using email. Um, if some people are comfortable with, you know, social messaging, you know, direct messages, any other type of, you know, I I used to communicate with some of my old buyers on FaceTime. You know, it, it just kind of depends on their own personality. Everybody has their own communication style. So again, that goes back to having that kind of open relationship with retail buyers and accounts and uh, your distributor partners is knowing how they like to communicate and knowing when they would like to communicate, um, being observant of, you know, not scheduling or trying to sell to them during peak times, you know, uh, on-premise has different peak times than off-premise, um, as well as your wholesale partner, you know, the mornings for them might be swamped with meetings. It's probably not the best time to grab their ear you know, see if you can have a uh, lunch with them or virtual lunch with them as we're doing right now. <laughs> so it's, you just have to be observant and respectful of people's um, time and space. Uh, constant communication, just keeping those lines open, um, keeping them updated with what's going on with your products and your breweries um, and making sure that you're bringing value to the relationship and you're not just you know, pitching your whole portfolio every time you speak to somebody, um, making sure that your actual account call, however that is done on the phone or in person, indirectly or directly, um, you know, has intent and purpose as well. What are you trying to accomplish? Uh, how are you trying to move the relationship forward? Um, yeah, so I, I did that for for many years. And, you know, you you can get creative as well in offering brand support. Um, remotely, uh, you know, if it's legal in your state, the good old post office is, is great for sending a sales sheet or a product portfolio or a price list, um, sending a tin tacker or a sleeve of coasters, you know, just because you're not there physically doesn't mean that you can't offer the same caliber of brand support and promotion as well. Um, Another way that you can do this is making your digital assets easily accessible um, for retail customers um, as well as your distributor partners. You know, it, it could be as simple as creating a free, you know, Google Drive folder that has all your digital assets and, and marketing materials and sales materials on it um, and protecting it with a password, of course, but then giving certain people access to that so that they can help you sell and market your beer for you without you actually having to be there. Um, the thing I'd like to tell people is just reaching out to the folks that you're doing business with and asking them, how can I help you do your job easier? What would help you sell more of my beer? What would help you market my beer? What would help you, you know, acquire more beer? like in the case of a distributor, you know, um, and 
just asking them specific questions and being like a detective, you know, gathering up all the data that you would need to make sure that you're fulfilling people's needs um, in the right places. And you don't always have to be there physically to do that. So that's something that I learned um, over the years and, you know, a little creativity with um, shipping and email and <laughs> digital files and, and and things of that sort. But, you know, that also plays into making sure that your wholesalers are armed with the materials that they need to properly sell your beer, whether that's branded glassware, signage, you know, things, again, that will help them do their job easier out in the market. Um, a lot of distributor reps are still out there on the front lines right now. Um, servicing accounts and and keeping the supply chain active. Um, and and they're still out selling and they're calling on their accounts and they're doing tell sales and, you know, working with them and saying, what can I give you that will help you do that job easier? Yeah. So, yeah, those are great points. I, I just want to underscore one thing you said, and I don't hear it enough is really just that question of how can I help you do your job better? How can I help you, you know, help us grow our brands? I think that's really important. And it, I think it trickles all the way down, um, certainly from the wholesaler level, talking to the retailer, how can I help you? Um, again, I think it's it's one of those questions that can be very valuable, but but really isn't isn't asked a lot. So I think that's, that's a great, great point, great thing to keep in mind. Um, I want to shift to sales and marketing fundamentals. So obviously this is, this is your wheelhouse. It's not my wheelhouse. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to maybe back up and, and talk about some basic things. I think there's a tendency to overlook the simple things and maybe chase after uh, the really cool, creative, out of the box stuff. But sometimes fundamentals um, are really the best place to start. So with that in mind, what are, what are some maybe two or three basic things that breweries should make sure are in place right now, you know, maybe before going uh, uh, too complex with a marketing strategy. What are some some basic things they should have in place? Um, you know, this question is actually harder. Um, <laughs> sometimes you you get ahead of yourself, like because you're in it every day, and you're like, oh, you end up, you know, talking about concepts that are way out there. And I try to have to rein myself back in to, you know, go back to the basics every now and then. Um, so there's three things that I kind of narrowed this down to that I want people to remember just at the core of, of sales and marketing. And that first, you need to know who you're speaking to. Um, you need to know who your target audience is. Are you speaking to a retail buyer in off-premise? Are you speaking to a purchasing manager at your distributor? Are you speaking to an end consumer? You know, so knowing at the very, very root, just step one, know your audience um, so that you can approach them on a channel and speak to them uh, in a certain method and use language that they're familiar with so that whatever your message is will resonate with them completely. Because you want to be sort of on a even playing field, so to speak, um, to try to make sure that what you're offering is meeting their need for something. So you want to have a meeting point. Um, second thing to remember is that uh, brand awareness and marketing and all that can be kind of a gray area, right? That's kind of hard to measure. 
um, and even sales. It's basically at the root, an act of memorization, right? You want that person to remember your brand when they go to buy beer. So how do you do that? Well, you have to make an impression on them with like a connection uh, or a, a memory, you know, something that will say, hey, the next time I'm searching for toilet paper in my local grocery store, yeah. <laughs> what will make me go to the beer aisle and select your six pack or four pack of cans off the shelf uh, versus somebody else? So if you take that approach, every time you think about how am I going to market my beer? How am I going to sell my beer? You know, knowing who you're speaking to and then saying, you know, what can I do to create a memorable impression that will stick in their head and that they'll be able to recall very easily later instead of just getting lost in the mundane sort of going through the motions of your everyday activities, right? Um, not to get too nerdy about this, but if you look at like, uh, you know, court situations with eyewitnesses, they never remember the everyday stuff, right? They have a really hard time <laughs> remembering the exact sequence of things that I did on November 4th of 10 years ago, right? But when you make that brand impression, they'll be able to recall it. I guarantee you. Yep. Um, so making that connection point. Um, third, uh, I want people to remember that sales and marketing is not about you. It is not written for you. It is not designed for you. It is designed for other people that you are hoping invest in your brand and your brewery. So you've got to take yourself out of the equation and stop tailoring sales messages or stop tailoring marketing messages or social media posts that you want to see. Right. And you, again, that goes back to knowing who you're speaking to. What would they like to see? What do they think is beneficial about your brewery or your brand? What do they find interesting? What what will they take away that makes their lives better or that helps them solve a problem? Most people don't think about that with beer, but if I'm thirsty and I want local craft beer, that's a problem if I don't have any at home. <laughs> you know, and I have to go out and get it. So thinking about um, the needs that they have and knowing that the messages that you're putting out there are designed for them and not for you. Good. So that's my three basics. If that kind of helps a little bit, not to get too nerdy about all that, but <laughs> no, I mean that's fundamentals, and I think we we we've all got uh, some time on our hands, so this would be a good opportunity. Like you know, brewery owners, managers can really give these questions some thought. Is just to recap, you know, know your target audience build that brand awareness. I think making impression, certainly that's really important, particularly with so many brands and wanting to, to stand out and remembering it's not about you because let's face it, we're human beings. We're kind of self-centered and, you know, that's just how we roll. So that's very right. important. And I think that not about you point is really, you, you could correlate that back to the question, uh, you know, how can I help you do your job better? What can I do for you? And particularly right now, you know, wholesalers, retailers, obviously everybody's, we're all hyper-focused on our own situation. Um, but we do uh, have an obligation to to look out and say, what are our, our partners are struggling with this too? So whether that's wholesalers, retailers, even the consumer. So I think giving that question um, some more thought, how can I help tying it back to remembering it's not just about you. Those are, those are really great points. I like that. Um, so those are the fundamentals. Let, now let's maybe get a little creative or different. I'm curious, 
what you're hearing about creative ways, creative things that breweries might be doing these days to maintain sales or maybe diversify their sales during this time? What are, what are you hearing out there? Um, you know, this is the fun part is that collecting stories from the field and, and watching what people are doing to get creative. And um, I actually, uh, the quote that Jim Cook put out there um, in that Forbes article that came out recently <laughs> just really sat with me. And yes, we are some of the scrappiest, most creative people on this planet. And the things that people are doing is just, I, it's, it's, uh, it's a bad situation, but these people are making the most of a bad situation and finding success. So, um, I think the people that are finding the most creative solutions are being very agile in their business and they're willing to make some pivots that they probably would have never considered before. Um, really thinking, you know, instead of saying outside of the box, like outside of the the keg outside of the beer can, so to speak, um, on this. Uh, some of the things that I've seen is, you know, of course, this goes with trends in the market, people pivoting to hard seltzer and producing that in cans because it's something that you probably already have the ingredients for. You know, it just takes a little bit of tweaking. And if you already have a canning line or a way to package beer, you know, that's a good alternative. Um, the flip side of that is going non-alcoholic seltzer or non-alcoholic uh, beverage products of some sort, whether it's soda or flavored water or flavored seltzer, whatever you want to look at. Um, in that sense, uh, I have also seen um, people playing around with other fermented products, believe it or not, like cheeses, you know, bread, <laughs> condiments, you know, things like that. Like I've, I, I, uh, you know, one of my friends, I got on their website the other day and they have a cider company up in Vermont and they have cider pickles for sale on their website. And I thought, oh my, oh, I want some cider pickles from Vermont. Who, <laughs> like would, why? who, would who will do this with cider pickles? <laughs> you know, and just things uh, that basically is taking advantage of what you've got. Take stock in what you have. Take stock in your ingredients that you have in hand, uh, your resources that you have in hand, your personnel that can pitch in in different places. And maybe you retrain a few people to do different things. Um, the equipment that you have. Um, and then on the flip side of that, outside of your organization, looking to partner with maybe other small business owners around you that could use some help as well and see how you can play off of each other to kind of bolster each other up. You know, the the restaurant down the street that's doing to-go food, do they have a family meal pack that you can cross-promote like a four-pack of or a six-pack of beer to go with it? Can you do like a package deal if that's legal in your state? I mean, the states are kind of weird right now. Everybody has their own thing going on. But, you know, um, or do they get a, a gift card with their family kit order to go to your brewery when it opens up, when we get back to normal, you know, just different ways that you can kind of uh, cross promote and, and use your community and use your kind of, you have kind of the same target audiences in that space anyways. 
So, uh, you know, how can you get kind of scrappy and creative and, and go off of that? And then in speaking about non-beer terms, you know, do you have an online merchandise store? Can people buy gift certificates? Um, I see a lot of people selling uh, like loyalty programs or like mug club memberships. And what's cool is that you can kind of, if you get creative with it and it doesn't cost you a thing except for a little bit of brain power, you know, how can you get people to opt into like a membership program where say they get a special price when they come back into the tap room, when you open back up, you know, and all it takes is a little bit of effort and, and creativity. And then it bolsters your business right now. And then it bolsters your business in the future by encouraging patronage when things do open back up. Yeah, so that's, that's just are, some of the things that I've seen. Those are great points. And it's really, um, it's a short term and a long term win, right? Cause a short term, we're trying to do everything we can to try to, you know, maintain or hang onto whatever sales and, and diversify the sales channels a little bit. And then long term, to your point, you know, you're, you're, maybe you're creating new, new paths to market, you know, with those collaborations or even, uh, you know, branching out the, the product line, things of that nature. So. That's really cool. Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of it is dependent on uh, the idea of diversifying your income streams. And that's just a general rule of thumb that's really nice to have in your business anyways. It's smart for investing on the personal side and it's smart for your business as well. So let's let's shift and talk about working with wholesalers. We, we talked a bit about that a few minutes ago with, with the relationship building and communication and asking you know, what we can do, you know, as, as brewery owners and managers, what we can do for our wholesale and retailer partners now. Um, you know, I'd say that these days more than ever, it's, it's important to have that good connection with the wholesaler, the, the relationship. Maybe let's get into some of the, the nitty gritty in terms of, you know, we may be doing these meetings virtually now, but the APB meetings, maybe you could describe what that is and, and your experience with it. And then generally just planning with your wholesaler, maybe maybe now when we're kind of in crisis mode and then looking towards when the fog lifts and we come out of it, what are some things that, some lessons you've learned and maybe would impart upon uh, uh, listeners? Okay. Um, I'll try to run through some of the fundamentals first and then I'll get into kind of an ABP meeting sort of situation that you can sort of take stock of things right now in the downtime. Um but the first thing that I have actually learned about uh, partnering with distributors and wholesalers is that you have to almost treat them like another retail account. Um, it's it's another channel of sales, right? And just because you have a signed uh, wholesale partnership agreement doesn't mean that that's like in the bag and that you can put your sales on autopilot. Like that's just, it's not going to happen. Um, maybe 10 years ago when there were very you know, there was a smaller number of breweries and you could really garner the attention of a wholesaler because there were less brands to choose from. Um, and I experienced some of that when I first got started, but things are totally different now. <laughs> there's there's 8,000 plus breweries in the US and there's, you know, uh, there's a lot of brands to choose from. So you're going to have to work a little harder um, to quote unquote sell to your wholesaler, just like you would in the retail market. And 
that means that you have to know who you're talking to. You have to provide value. You have to remind them about their brands and you have to have a sales plan in working with them. Um, and just like having a strong relationship with a retail buyer, you need to have a strong relationship with your wholesaler. So knowing your personnel, um, knowing who to speak to for certain things, if there's an out of stock, who do you talk to? If there's a pricing issue, who do you talk to? If there's out of code beer somewhere, who do you speak with? You know, just knowing the ins and outs of, uh, their personnel structure and their business model to know who to go to when, things go south. And then on the flip side of that, when things are going really well, who do you go to to say good job? You know, um, that's underrated as well. (laughs) Um, And I think that having goals, having clear goals and a clear sales plan at the beginning of every sales year, and I say sales year because not everybody begins in January, Um, I've worked for a couple of companies that we've been on a fiscal year and the beginning of my year was in May every year. So whenever your sales year starts, knowing that the quarter before that, you need to be doing everything that you can to put a clear set of sales goals for the year in place with your distributor partner and making sure that you have a sales plan, at least, you know, on paper or conceptualized already for how to execute and meet those goals by the end of your sales year. Um, And that would be at multiple levels of your distributor. So starting with, you know, the executive team, what's their role in this, the sales managers, the ASMs, the DSMs, whatever kind of structure they have. Um, How often are you meeting with your purchasing manager? What are your order meetings look like? Do you have a brand focus calendar? Does your distributor even know what to focus on every month? You know, I, I encourage my clients quite a bit to just come up with a calendar on Google Docs. It's free, you know, just download a simple calendar template that says, hey, in January, we're going to talk about stouts. Mm-hmm. And in February, we're going to talk about fruited sours. And, you know, at Christmas time, we're going to talk about our bourbon barrel age, whatever it is, you know. But uh, again, distributors are not mind readers. You, you have to kind of give them a, a plan if you expect and want them to execute um, on their end. And then you also need to work out the logistics of, you know, um, how are you going to work with their sales team? How are you going to educate their sales team? Um, what kind of value and assets you're bringing to the relationship um, that would encourage them to keep your brand top of mind, you know? Are, are you doing enough staff trainings? Are you working with their sales team out in the market? Are you out in the market yourself supporting your brand? You know, so that the demand comes from two sides and not just an ask on one side. Um, and I think uh, working out those details, you know, how many sales reps do you have out in the market? What kind of point of sale materials can you bring? And don't underestimate the behind the scenes people. Get to know your warehouse staff. Walk the warehouse floor. Make sure your beer is delivered correctly. Label it correctly. Again, make their job easier. Talk to the fleet drivers. Work with the merchandisers. Work with the line cleaners. Um, The administrative staff is one of the most overlooked group of people within a wholesaler. And I think that's terrible. Because guess who's processing your invoices? 
in your sample request. So, you know, when you create a sales plan or a plan for the whole year and set some goals, I would encourage you to think about every single piece of that business model of your wholesaler that you're working with and make sure that you're covering that. And you also want to make sure whatever goals you have in mind are very specific and measurable. So it's not just, let's go out and sell some more beer this year. That's not going to work. You you have to set some benchmarks and put those in place for something to work towards and something to track. Yeah, that's great. I want to circle back and just underscore a couple of points you had made, um, which I think are great and can be very useful for listeners. The first is is in is having that list of who do you contact at your wholesaler partner when certain issues or or things come up. Right, you had mentioned if there's out of stocks, if there's mm-hmm. out of code. If there's pricing issues, these are um, things that happen all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's well worthwhile to just simply have a contact list of who does what at your wholesaler partner um, instead of maybe just sending the same person a, a variety of different questions. So I, I think that shows a lot of, um, I think you had mentioned, you know, consideration and understanding and respect, you know, to know who to, who to send those questions to. So definitely uh, echo that thought is to make that list. Second is really just, you know, saying good job. You're right. It it happens very rarely. I think there's an expectation perhaps that, you know, we're going to make great beer and the wholesaler is going to sell it and we'll have plants and so forth. But these are people we're dealing with, right? They want to, they want to mm-hmm. hear the attaboy or the girl and the good job. And that really does go a long way. So I think that that bears repeating. Um, and the brand calendar, you're right. I mean, wholesalers, are dealing with hundreds, if, if not thousands of brands, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of different supplier partners. It's very hard. You know, I lived that life for many, many years and I, and I saw what those folks are up against and it's tough. Um, so having a brand calendar really as a focus, you know, one of the things we do at the brewery is it's a one page uh, brand calendar that's um, image oriented, right? So it's re- basically mm-hmm. a slider that'll show you your brand, what, what the uh, style is, very quick. But it shows you shows you when it's coming out in the calendar. So if you've got your flagships that are year round, you've got your seasonals, and maybe you've got some special releases. But it's one page. Boom! I can see it. I know it's coming up. Um, right. Yeah, I think that brand calendar is, is a great point. So for for listeners, if you don't have it, and again, you know, some emphasis on the downtime that we may have, and maybe you know, getting some of these assets put together. I think those are those are great points. It's a good thing to do. And, you know, on that note, just to feed off of that point is that people should realize that uh, working in the wholesale channel, things take longer. So how you would go to market with, say, like a special release or a seasonal or, you know, whatever it might be that's not an everyday item. Or if you run into a problem like an out of stock or something out of code, something like that, just note it's going to take longer than if it was just me in the equation. There, there's more people involved. There's more hands involved. There's more paperwork involved. So just keep that in mind as just in the back of your head, like, Hey, it's going to take a little longer to plan a product launch, or it's going to take a little longer to fix an out of code pull, you know, and get it replaced. So just being conscious of that and kind of having a good idea for like the timeline of where things are at with logistics that will help you quite a bit as well. Good point. So 
as you know, craft brewery finance, we talk about finance stuff, right? <laughs> so I wanted to ask you a question about uh, return on investment, the old ROI. So when we look at maybe tangible examples like buying equipment in the brewery, let's just say we've used this example before. If, if we're, um, we have a canning service come in, uh, mobile canning, right? And, and it's a little bit expensive. We do the analysis and we say, you know, it might make sense for us to purchase our own canning line. It'll cost this, but there's a payback. Therefore, my return on investment is that. You can do the, the math relatively quickly. So with tangible assets, maybe it's a little bit easier. But I wanted to ask you how you think about sales and marketing from a return on investment perspective. And, you know, can it be measured? And if so, you know, are there metrics that you would recommend folks look at? Yes. Um, even though I am not an expert in finance, <laughs> I do I do use the term ROI quite a bit, um, honestly, when it comes to sales and marketing, because I, I feel like it can also be, yes, it's an expression of like value and, and money and whatnot, but, um, and used to determine investments you know, the value on your investment, but you can also look at it in terms of time and effort and, you know, what you have to um, spend to make something happen. Um, so I actually use the term ROI quite a bit in my teachings, and in my trainings. Um, yes, sales definitely has a metric. Uh, it has a lot of metrics that you can track. Um, at the very root of sales is probably your uh, sales volume. So depending on what measurement you prefer to use, some people use units, some people use case equivalents. Um, you know, it just depends on your own personal uh, recording system. But um, I would say keeping an eye on your overall sales volume. Um, and this is not something that you track once a year and then just table it. <laughs> it's, a, it's something that you need to have a clear sales volume goal for the entire sales year. Um, you need to have goals for each quarter. And I would suggest having goals for each month as far as a certain volume number to hit. Um, the other measure that I love to use is distribution. Um, so where are you selling beer? How many places are buying your beer? Um, overall distribution and then breaking that down as well, like for the whole year, for the quarter, for the month. Um, another great one is points of distribution. So uh, these are also referred to as pods or PODs. Um, I love tracking points of distribution because I think it's just a great way to nurture your account base. Um, and that's the idea of like line extensions, like, okay, there's a mom and pop liquor store on the corner and they're buying one of my beers, but I have 15 in my portfolio. How can I get some of those other ones in there? You know, it's not always about that volume number. You know, it, you can track progress as well when it comes to um, the number of brands that you're selling within one account and then tracking that overall. And again, doing that by year, by quarter, by month as well. Um, I also like to track classes of trade in sales. Um, that's a little bit more nuanced if you want to get a little bit more advanced in your sales tracking. <laughs> um, but looking at, you know, which market segments 
um, are doing the best for your brands. And the premise of tracking all of these like basic metrics is um, one kind of overall idea is that you're looking at what's working. And, and you would evaluate your ROI of spending time, you know, with a certain account, spending time in a certain class of trade, you know, spending time on somebody that's buying all of your brands instead of just one, you know, and then prioritizing your selling time and optimizing your selling time um, based on those metrics. Because, I mean, you don't want to, you know, what's the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again that doesn't work. <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't want to get into an insanity type of situation with your beer sales. You want to, you know, track what's working and look to see what's resonating with uh, retail buyers and in consumers as well, as well. Um, and making sure that you're tracking that on a, on a consistent basis. Um, so marketing is a little harder. Um, marketing is difficult because being in the beer space, we can't, uh, a big marketing metric that people like to track is conversions, customer conversions. Like what, what did you do along the path to make the sale? The thing is we can't sell beer direct to consumers. So it's very hard to track the effectiveness of marketing to end consumers because you've got that extra layer in there. So it makes it a little bit difficult. Um, what you can track is sales to retail buyers and sales to your wholesaler. So the marketing efforts that you put towards those, you might not think of it right off the bat, but you know, tracing that path, where did that person come from? Where did that retail customer come from? Where did that distributor sales rep come from that just made a huge deal for your brand? What did you do building up to that? Um, those are some things that you can track. Um, if we want to get a little bit more advanced into some marketing metrics that you should be paying attention to probably with your brewery is uh, engagement rates on social media. So whatever social media channels you're, you're working with um, for your brand, which, which ones are doing the best? You know, if, if Twitter is not working for you to have conversations with people, then get rid of it. There, there's no point in your ROI on that is low. No point in spending your time on that. Marketing is vast and complicated. So you want to make sure that you're really looking at your ROI of time and effort and money when it comes to marketing. So looking at engagement rates on social media channels, that's how many people are sharing your posts, how many comments are on there. Are you engaging with customers in big conversations? Um, the key to great social media marketing is engagement. Those algorithms love engagement. So the more that you can engage with customers, the greater success you're going to have with social media marketing. And it gains a higher ROI because then you're getting your brand on the eyeballs of more people. And social media is a great way to do that because it's very targeted um, and it's very cost effective. It's just, it just takes a little time. Um, another thing that you can look at is um, email marketing. I love email marketing for breweries. I think it's, again, one of the most targeted ways that you can reach your exact customer um, and get into their house, get into their home every single day if you want to, you know, and it's a very low cost, very low barrier to entry. Um, you know, if you're doing email marketing, I would 
track the number of subscribers that you have. I would track the number of email opens that you have, and I would track the number of clicks that you get on your email messages. And that'll give you a good idea of what kind of material is uh, resonating with your target audience. Um, Also your website, it's kind of a no brainer, right? People take for granted websites. Um, Making sure that your website is up to date is just vital these days, especially with our weird market conditions right now. But uh, taking a look at whatever website platform you're using to host your uh, website, there's probably some very simple metrics on there, simple analytics that you can look at. Um, See how long people are staying on your website, the amount of time spent on your website, the pages that they viewed, the most popular pages that are being viewed, um, the things that are being clicked on the most. And that'll give you clues into where you need to expend uh, time and energy, you know, for marketing purposes. And if you're brave enough to venture into the world of paid uh, online social media advertising, um, that is very confusing and very aggressive and very hefty to take on. That's a big project. Um, Luckily, I have training in that. So I know I know what to look for. <laughs> but um, if you are venturing into like Facebook and Instagram ads and LinkedIn and things, you know, things like that, um, the the analytics are extremely confusing. But if you will hone in on uh, click-through rates and return on ad spend, not the ROI, but ROAS, which is return on ad spend. And that is a better, clear picture of the benefit that you're getting from that online advertisement that you're paying for. Gotcha. So measuring. I hope that helps. No, that's great. I think there's a lot there to kind of kind of pick apart. Um, so it's really, you know, whereas a traditional ROI would be dollar measurement. I, I spend this, I can get a return on that over X period of time. Whereas from a marketing and particularly from social media, it's a little bit of maybe one step removed. As you talked about, you're measuring that engagement. You're measuring if I send out this email or this Facebook posts and I get someone to click it or like it, or that's eventually going to lead to either a potential customer um, or something along those lines. So it may be one step removed, uh, but it's a clear indicator that somebody has raised their hand and they're interested in your brewery, your brand, and they, and they want to know more. So I think that that's equally, equally valuable, although, you know, doesn't, maybe doesn't fit the traditional ROI. It's very, I think it's very close. So there's a lot, I think there's a lot of good stuff there for folks. Um, I want to pivot here and, and, and kind of back up and, you know, you and I had talked previously and you'd mentioned when you had started out in the beer business, uh, that there wasn't a lot of formal training and sales particularly with brewery training. Uh, so a number of the listeners of this podcast are either um, in sort of the dream phase, you know, they'd love to start a brewery. You know, this current situation probably uh, made them press pause, but they've got time to maybe, you know, rework the fundamentals and think about it. Others are startup phase. Um, so I think maybe they could really benefit from your experience. So when you started out, you kind of had to learn it by experience. You had to learn it kind of on your own. And I'm, I'm wondering how you took that experience and built that into the the training and the courses and the consulting that that you offer today. Yeah, I, I, when I first got started, um, 
I was kind of just, you know, no offense to my company that I worked for at the time, but they, they said, well, you're replacing somebody else that's moving in two days. So good luck, sink or swim, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and it it was a sort of a trial by fire. There was a lot of embarrassing moments in between then and now, trust me, uh, you (laughs) learned the school of hard knocks, so to speak. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I take a lot of that and a lot of my mistakes and a lot of the speed bumps and I channel them into my program so that people can be a little bit, uh, more prepared for what to expect because it is, um, you know, if you don't have a business background and you don't have a sales background, it is kind of hard to wrap your brain around. Um, most people that I work with, um, they're like, well, I get out in the market every day and I knock on doors and I talk to people and, you know, I tell them that we brew great beer and I have to gently remind them that, uh, this is a science, you know, there's a process like people buy things for a reason and you have to tap into that, you know, and that took me years to figure out, even though I, I had a marketing degree and I was able to easily translate that more in marketing materials than I was in my sales career. It actually took me quite a few years to really get the knack for using that same skill set and that same process um, to connect with buyers. And, you know, I had this um, ability that I always trace back actually to bartending for so long where I would speak to people at my bar and it was my job, you know, uh, I, I worked for many years at a place that had a hundred plus taps, right? So there's a lot to choose from. And if you're speaking with somebody that, you know, is not a hundred percent certain of what they want, it, it's your job to figure that out. Right. And it's very much the same in sales. So that's, um, the way that I teach things, because that's the way that I learned how to do it in the field. And that is, you know, you've got to observe their behavior. You've got to connect with them. You've got to ask the right open-ended questions to get them to give you the information that you need so that you can play matchmaker and try to match them up with something that fits them specifically so that you can find a success point. And it's a really great feeling when you can match up your brands um, with a retail account where it's a really good fit and it's a mutually beneficial partnership for everybody involved. So um, that is a big part of how I teach sales. Um, I, I learned the importance of relationships. And again, no matter what technology is out there, or how things change or the market conditions change or say the beer industry gets turned on its head tomorrow, which basically just happened to us in this health crisis, um, it goes back to those relationships. Do you know your buyers? Do you know your accounts? Can you communicate with the right people? You know, those will stand the test of time and weather just about any crisis or conditions. So I speak a lot about forming strong, long-term, profitable relationships for everybody involved um, in this situation. And then really just being a source of trust um, and credibility. And the two things that I always speak about the most are empathy and authority. So do you have, are, are you presenting yourself to 
whoever you're selling to in a way that you're exhibiting empathy for their needs and their wants and their feelings and what they need for their business in the case of retail buyers, whatever it is, your target audience, are you being empathetic to their situation? And then are you demonstrating authority in saying, you know what, this is my knowledge. I'm going to share it with you. I think this can really help you. And I think it's a great match for you. And I'm confident about what I'm speaking about and you can trust my judgment. And when you can kind of knock out those basic things, um, they're not easy to learn. It's going to take practice. It it is going to take practice, but it does help when you have somebody that can give you that kind of training from the beginning and say, these are the things to look out for. These are the cues to look out for. And these are kind of the beneficial habits that you need to build up and sort of have in your arsenal, you know, um, so that you can pivot any which way in the market and you can weather just about any, you know, situation or objection or obstacle that you come across. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, given that we've got, you know, this downtime again, quote unquote, and it's an opportunity to kind of learn some new skills. Is is there any one skill set related to sales and marketing in particular uh, that you would recommend anyone, maybe one of your courses that you would recommend uh, for folks to take a look at and maybe build a new skill set? Uh, you know, I have the one that I recommend to people the most is called Smart Sales Strategies for breweries of any size. Um, it's a short course. Um, it's it's affordable. It's just around two hours long. So you can kind of do it in an afternoon very easily. Um, and I say, I mention this course in particular because I feel like even marketing folks and management folks and people that are looking to strengthen their wholesaler relationships can benefit from this course. Cause I feel like it's the building blocks for everything else. I think that once you really understand the heart of sales and what that process looks like and how to build relationships and how to build these habits that will um, serve you and you're in, in a sales position, you can translate those foundations to marketing, to management, to distributor management. I feel like at the heart of it is learning how to navigate, you know, discovering needs and wants and meeting people's needs and solving problems and dealing with customer service and retail sales and marketing and things like that. So I I always go back to that course. I think it's easily accessible and a really good place to start. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I've, you know, from my side of things with finance and whatnot. I've been recommending folks look at the crash course in brewery finances that I had put together. And it's it sounds similar relative to sales and market where it's very fundamental driven. It might not be, well, I'll speak for, for what, what my particular, it might not be the sexiest course, right? We're talk, we're <laughs> yeah. about general ledger and you know, financial <laughs> statements and et cetera. But it's really important and it really doesn't take that long. You said yours is two hours. The one I have is about is about twice that long. Um, but again, I think the attitude, the mindset that I've tried to adopt personally, and what I've been trying to put out there is that yeah, this this really stinks right now, and it's also an opportunity to to really get better and to focus mm-hmm. on the fundamentals and and realize that um, you know 
there's that book, Who Moved My Cheese? If you've Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Well, our cheese has been moved, and you know now we can't cry about it. We have an opportunity to, you know, take a take a step back and really try to improve our personal, professional, and business uh, skill set. So I think that's a great great recommendation for folks to check that out. Um, so obviously life's going to take a while to get back to normal life and business. Nobody really knows how long that's going to be. Um. So what changes do you see maybe going forward? And you put your prognosticator hat on as far as selling and marketing beer. So how might how might things look different and what should brewery owners be be thinking about to prepare? Ooh, that's a loaded question. Uh-huh. <laughs> um I will I, I feel like uh this is a very long conversation in itself, but I'll try to uh get to the meat of it. I think, um, things are going to, I hate the term new normal, but that is what it's going to be. So, um, on the other side of this, I think, and you and I have spoken about this before is being agile with your business, having some agility. Um, I speak about this in sales as well as being agile in your market. And that's having the ability to observe what's going on, adapt, to what's happening and being able to pivot your business in a way that can just keep you going, that can keep the momentum going forward. So um, whether that's uh, cash flow, cash reserves, diversified income streams, emergency funds, backup plans, all that stuff, this is now the time to make that happen and get that squared away so that you have contingency plans. Um, for things that might happen. I don't think any of us saw this coming. I mean, this is now there's probably some epidemiologists out there that did see this coming, but us in the beer industry, we're not really concerned with a global pandemic about six months ago, you know? Um, So expect the unexpected, have the backup plans in place and know how to pivot in ways that you're capable of with the resources that you have. Um, I think more folks. And I, again, I say this, I am a data nerd just because that's my personality. Um, But I think data, hard data is something uh, like consumer data is something that I think breweries need to pay more attention to um, because it gives you, again, it arms you with more information, right? The more information that you have, the better that you can be in your business and the more beer you can sell. That's just the way it is. So if you have data on your consumers about the way that they're acting in the market, you can adjust your sales plans accordingly. Um, so keeping an eye on, you know, the BA website or um, I love the IWSR, which is the international, what is it, wine and spirits record. Um, there's another company called Technomics. Uh, that evaluates the food service industry, which I find fascinating um, for those that are selling a lot to on-premise. There's a gr- lot of great insights that they provide about the food service side of things. Um, but just knowing consumer confidence, trends, you know what people are buying in the stores, what people are buying in restaurants, how they feel about shopping, things like that will do you all the good in the world. Um, marketing and sales plans need to be a vital part of your brewery business. And, you know, Mr. Watson from the BA has told us time and time again that things are getting heated 
<laughs> our market is maturing, you it, it all comes down to strategy, right? You have to be strategic with the way that you do things. You have to grow smart. You have to run your business in a smart way. You need to have concrete plans for marketing and sales, you know, um, and I, I catch a lot of flack for this, but the past, I would say five, six, seven, eight years have been a lot of like high fives and we sell craft beer and this has been awesome and let's ride the wave and all that stuff. Um, that's not happening anymore. And it's, it's not going to go back to that or at least not for some time, you know? And so you've got to be strategic in the way that you approach this new business world. Um, tap rooms, bars, restaurants, uh, stores, they're all going to look different. So I think all of us need to be prepared for that. Um, less seating, not as much capacity. You're probably not going to do the sales volume that you did before because you have less people in there. Um, consumers are going to be very cautious and very scared about going back into places. I, I talk with breweries quite a bit about um, openly marketing, say on social media or even your website, you know, show them what you're doing to sanitize the space, make them more confident in your ability to provide a safe space for them to come back in and show patronage again. Um, the off-premise space is going to be crazy. Um, because package is flooding the market right now. So if you thought the, you know, off-premise uh, grocery and, and package chains are fierce competition now, it's going to be that much more difficult <laughs> on the other side of this when you can get back into that account physically and trying to sell in. So really thinking about creative ways that you can visually stimulate people in the off-trade um, to bring them into this experience again with your brand, whether it's in-person tastings or display enhancers or in caps or whatever. Um, if you're working with chain accounts, I, now would be the time to prepare those sales decks so that you can hit the ground running when things go back to normal, quote unquote, normal buying patterns there. Um, Working with national and chain accounts is a whole different animal than retail sales, and it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. So if I were a brewery right now that had that capability, I would start working on those relationships now behind the scenes so that you can activate that channel when we get back to normal. Um, and finally, really, I know I'm preaching to the choir on this one, but getting your finances in order um, and just making sure, you know, um, again, I, I catch a lot of hell for this, but no one cares about your next hazy IPA if your brewery is not open anymore. Like if you're closed, you can't live that vision. You can't brew that creativity if you're not functioning as a business. And what it takes to do that is, you know, like I said before, cash reserves, cash flow, making sure your business is lean and efficient and that you're growing in a smart way and that you have the tools and the plans in place to facilitate sales and marketing so that you can increase brand awareness and boost brand loyalty and therefore grow your craft brand. Yeah, that's great stuff. It's, it's a mixture of, you know, stuff that's really timeless as far as, you know, we've, we've used the word fundamentals a lot, but it's, it really is um, a lot of, I think the tips that you were relaying are in fact good today and, and good 
really under any circumstance. And and then, yeah, being understanding the specifics of what we're going through right now. And I think you're right. You know, consumer behavior is going to change and it may never quite go back to the way it is now relative to, say, the on-premise. And then off-premise, mm-hmm. people are not going to stop drinking beer or even slow down. It might The opposite might be true, but the way they they get that beer is certainly going to change. So I think that's a great point about, you know, chain accounts in particular, um, starting to plant those seeds now and build those relationships, even if it's, you know, email or phone call or what can I do for you, right? I think going back to that, that point you brought up earlier, that question works in a lot of different situations. Um, and I really think it shows that you're, uh, you know, we talk about revenue and sales differentiation and business differentiation, uh, that's a way to differentiate yourself, I think, from a from a business operating standpoint as well. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've mentioned, you know, the brewery business is is full of scrappy people. You know, many really bootstrapped to start their business, and they're used to adversity, uh, getting knocked down and back up. So, really, these days we're looking for, I think, collectively a, a beacon of hope. You know, positive news of any kind, examples to follow. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, do you have any any stories of inspiration or hope or maybe just a brewery doing something cool that's inspired you? Um, there's a lot right now. I I kind of feel bad. I don't want to play favorites too much with, <laughs> with who I speak about. But uh so um Fernson Brewing out of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, um launched a special release a couple weeks ago in the middle of a health crisis and completely sold out Wow! of everything. And it is a testament to the power of knowing your target market and knowing uh, the right amount of product to make and creating some buzz around it. Um, They partnered with a uh, local um, candy company to do kind of a cherry uh, inspired candy beer kind of around this big local candy brand that's uh, local to that market. And um, people are clamoring for it in the middle of social distancing. So it's, it's a, it's a cool thing to see. (laughs) Um, More local here is uh, Lady Justice Brewing Company. They're out of Denver. Um, They had a grand opening in the middle of a pandemic. (laughs) And they, they have been contract brewing through another tap room here in Denver for the past couple of years until they had enough funds to start their own facility. And it just happened to occur right in the middle of the shutdown order for every place to close. So, you know, but, uh, those women are absolutely incredible. So a big shout out to them. Um, they, their marketing is ridiculously good if you want a great case example a case study um they have a small location they have low overhead they have a very engaged loyal fan base they have a very distinct point of view with consistent branding and it it's it's working everything is working they sold beer to the public i think for the first time yesterday and i believe they sold out of everything and it's a really cool thing to see. They're also big about uh, 
membership and loyalty programs. They're actually giving away memberships to their programs right now to first responders and healthcare workers, mm, which is that's really fantastic. Cool. So um, the other thing that I stumbled upon, uh, again, another uh, local company here, Liquid Mechanics Brewing out of Lafayette, Colorado, um, they made a commitment to help fund the Boulder Valley School District lunch program. And even though the kids are not in school, they are still making their monthly contribution to help fund uh, kids that can't afford meals right now, which is really cool to see. Um, And a friend of mine, Danny Oliver out in Texas, uh, she runs uh, Island to Island Brewery. And she has got an amazing foundation called Beers Giving. Um, that is introducing STEM careers to families um, to get them involved with the beer industry. Um, She's also helping to reintroduce military veterans to careers in the brewing industry after they're done with their service. And she's bringing light to, you know, uh, diversity and inclusion in our industry, which I think is super important. And she had a huge beer festival tour slated for (laughs) for the middle of all of this. And she can't do any of it, but she has taken everything online and is now doing telethons. And it's an incredible organization, Um, things like that. And then this afternoon, after we are done with this interview, I am getting on their website, uh, Liquid Brewing Company out of Dallas um, is actually breaking down their old beer barrels that they can't get any use out of anymore into chunks of wood chips that you can use for your backyard smoker or your barbecue grill. Brilliant. And being a native Texan that is now in Colorado, I have a very hard time finding barbecue here, but yet I have a smoker and I am purchasing a bag of Lakewood (laughs) barrel chips this afternoon because it's a little piece of home. But I think that's just a testament to like your connection that you have with a brand and really great marketing and really great pivoting. Um, I reached out to them earlier today and I said, man, I wish I was in Texas still so that I could buy a bag. And they said, we'll ship it to you. It's on our web store. Get on there right now. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's genius. Pure genius. I I love it. I love it. Yeah. Just some examples there. (laughs) Great stuff. Hey, I appreciate you sharing that. Those are, it's definitely uh, nice to go out on a high note and some positivity and, you know, there's, there's definitely those, those beacons and, and rays of light out there, certainly in this industry. So definitely this has been a lot of fun and I think a lot of great information. So I really appreciate your time. Um, I wanted well, to you. ask you and, and for listeners, if people want to learn more about you or the services, the courses that you have, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, you know, the easiest way I always direct people to my website. That's the best way to find me. I'm a one woman show over here. So everything that happens on that website comes straight to me. Um, it is www.notyourhobbymarketing.com. Um, and you're also free to send me an email, julie at notyourhobbymarketing.com. Um, if people want to go the old school route, and give me a ring on the phone. <laughs> you could do that as well. Uh, it's 720-749-4977. Um, and I love it when people follow me on social media. I put out a lot of content on social media. There's a lot of free resources that you can take advantage of. 
um, just by following me or signing up through uh, on my email list, through social media or through my website. Um, I am on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn uh, at the handle at Not Your Hobby Marketing. Um, and again, I I believe that business skill training should be accessible and affordable to everybody in this industry, regardless of your production size or the size of your income statement. So um, I have reduced all the prices on all of my training programs by 50% until we can get out of this um, because I want people to take advantage of learning how to work a little smarter instead of harder. And I think the path to that is through proper training and education. Couldn't agree more. Well, thank you very much for joining. Really appreciate it. A lot of great information. And until next time, take care. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to the Craft Brewery Finance Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers so that you can improve financial results in your brewery. For more resources, tools, guides, and online courses, visit craftbreweryfinance.com. Don't forget to sign up for the world-famous Craft Brewery Finance newsletter. Until next time, get out there and improve financial results in your brewery today.